0: All right, everybody out there and listen around. Welcome back to episode 59 of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. We are back with a best of masters. We've got myself, uh, our co-host Steve here, and of course, the king of the masters of real estate himself, Joe. Joe, what's happening? Steve, hey thanks guys. for joining me.
1: What's happening? Hey. Good to be back. Welcome
2: back, Joe. I was kind of jabbing at you here off the air. You've been kind of a little bit more quiet with your campaigns on Facebook. What do you got cooking these days? Are you doing... Joke of the day or week or month or find Waldo or anything like that no,
1: no you know I had the corny jokes that I was doing up till Christmas I think we we're all waiting for Christmas to get here and get over with and uh, so I sort of stopped with the corny jokes but sort of as a diversion to mm. talking politics, I'm trying to do something else to get people's attention and distraction and I got to tell you, those Facebook fans, they certainly love them some puzzles, some crazy puzzle where you have to find the answer. And everyone has been really good about not reading everyone else's answer before they post. They read it and try and figure it out and post their answer. And it's great because I would rather do that than argue politics on Facebook any day. I'm about
0: to go on a a clean out my friend group and just like, (laughs) it's been long enough now. Like I granted people leeway and I don't care which side it is, but like we're far enough along now. I just don't want to see that shit anymore, man. Just, just stop already, you know?
2: Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. Has there been politics on Facebook? I hadn't noticed. I didn't (laughs) quite get that memo. Yeah. So you're talking the puzzles, like where it says Joe has three apples, Bob has 10 apples, Together, they have 30, I mean, 57 apples and blah, blah, blah. How many does Dan have or something like that? Right.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: You know, an interesting factoid. Do you guys remember like years ago before Google <laughs> and there used to actually be meaningful trivia out there? You remember yeah. like in the old days, like the radio station would be like, and the trivia question of the day is who did this or which president did this? And people would call in with guesses. You ever notice that it doesn't exist anymore?
0: probably for good because reason because of right?
2: google yeah <laughs> right exactly. so like with contests they have to be more creative that it's not something that's so easy to find online it's kind of interesting but anyways we can probably get into the show we can we've
0: got a, uh, we got some interesting topics this this month that's for sure some of them are i guess controversial i would say but overall some potentially big changes or some big changes that people are lobbying for in terms of real estate or real estate related stuff. So Steve, why don't you kick us off with the first one and we can dive into it.
2: Yeah. So we're going to talk about four different things today. The first three are mildly depressing for the real (laughs) estate industry. Mildly to moderately to maybe hugely, but nonetheless, they affect us all and they were big topics on masters. And so Hang on, folks, for that, and we're going to try to close you out with at least a semi-fun one. The first one is about the new—they're calling it rent control. It's technically not rent control, I don't think, because rent control says you can't raise your rents more than X. This lets you—you just have to pay a moving cost if they decide to vacate. But it's definitely a big step in the direction of rent control. I don't have the exact terms here in front of me, but I'm familiar with it enough to know some of the basics. So basically, it's based on the size of the property, and I think it was based on bedroom count. So if it's a studio, it's X amount moving cost. If it's a one-bedroom, two-bedroom, I think it might have capped out there. It ranges from a couple thousand to almost like $5,000. And this has passed. This is official. It not only is official, but I think I read it retros back. So... People who are, have given 30 days notice a week ago are affected by it, or a week from when it went into effect anyway, obviously now. So if you raise rent more than 10% in a 12-month consecutive calendar period, and they choose to move out, you have to pay them damages for moving costs based on the size of the property. Obviously, the devil's in the details like a lot of legislature and a lot of things in general, but... You know, some of the things that were concerning to a lot of people was the fact, and Billy Grippo posted this, by the way, and oh, on another, by the way, this was on February 2nd at 8.33 p.m. There was probably more comments than I've ever seen. You don't see it at first because it says 46 comments here, but when you actually go through this thread and you click on some of the links that are like view more replies, all of a sudden like 30 more comments will pop down on, on those, and there's a whole slew of those. I would venture there's easily north of 100 comments, maybe even closer to 150 in here. I spent a good chunk of time early this morning kind of preparing for the show, just kind of refreshing myself on some of the things people were saying. Great people that were very informed. You know, there was some arguments mostly against this because obviously this is a real estate Facebook group, but there was a few pro it that were coming from realtors and it was interesting to get their take on things. Billy Grippo had some great comments as well. But one of the, a couple of the concerning things is, first of all, if my house is in Portland and Tucker wants to move into it and I'm like, hey, Tucker, you know, I don't need my house for the next year or two. I'm, I'm going to do something different. And then I, I move you in it and I put you on a one-year lease and I decide after the one-year lease that I want to move into the house, that is a no-cause eviction and that triggers this legislature. And the argument being, Tucker did not do anything wrong. He was in that lease, even though it was a contract and it was stipulated up front, hey, you are going to live in my house for a year per this lease, according to this legislature, that is viewed no differently than if you were month to month with no preset, hey, you're in it for this amount of time. So being that Tucker didn't do anything bad in this situation, he didn't not pay rent or he didn't damage the property, or do something that would be deemed cause, now when I want the property back, I have to pay his moving costs. That's a that's a big deal. That's a big deal, and that's definitely, I think, something that is concerning to a lot of people. There was a few other things, but I'll let you guys chat about it. I know you know a pretty good amount about this, Tucker. What do you know?
0: I think you hit some of the more important points for sure. I, one of the other things that was important to note is that they said that you were exempt if you only owned one property. So they they wanted to play nice with the ma and pa landlords, so they call them. But to me, you know, that's kind of a open door for interpretation. You know, what constitutes owning one property, right? I mean, a lot of investors they own different properties in different LLCs, and how are you going to be able to determine that one individual has ownership in all these LLCs that maybe own multiple properties? So I think there's ways around it potentially that government didn't think about, which isn't all that surprising. But overall, you know, I think the sentiment around town is that landlords are these, you know, rich, take advantage of the peasant type people. And it's just not really the case. I mean, I think that they've gotten a bad rap, mainly because, you know, Portland has become kind of a mecca, right, for people moving here. And because of that, neighborhoods are changing pretty dramatically. And because of that, rents are changing fairly dramatically. And so, you know, I think this really just boils down to the fact that Portland's growing up as a city and you can't live in the middle of a hot area for 400 bucks a month, (laughs) you know, forever. I mean, it just can't do it. And, you know, there is cheaper places to rent, but nobody wants to go out to 122nd, (laughs) which I can't say I totally blame them, but you know, that's just the reality of it. And in any big city, the closer you are to where everybody wants to be, the more expensive it is to rent. And so, it's just a weird dynamic. I, I don't know how this is really going to affect much because I think it's only into effect until October, I believe, Steve. Uh, I don't know if you read that as well.
2: Yeah, I did. I did. So it's part of the housing crisis that they passed. Am I saying that was a housing crisis? Or- yeah,
0: that's what they, that's what they considered it for Portland's yeah. housing crisis.
2: Yeah. So the mayor, you know, filed temporary housing crisis and it expires in October. And as part of this, this is pegged in it. Now, a lot of people think it's going to continue beyond that. But I want to read here a couple other things that I think our listeners should know about this. This is coming straight from Billy Grippo in this thread buried in there pretty deep. An agent who I won't mention by name came out and said that he was at the hearing promoting this ordinance. And there was a lot of agents There was a lot of back and forth with people and him, and it, it wasn't all positive, but here Billy Grippo kind of said, look, this is the unintended consequences that this creates. If a landlord wants to sell his or her place and get out of the rental business, retire or whatever, the landlord pays the relocation fine. Okay, so there's one bad scenario that you wouldn't think is fair, right? If the landlord wants to move into their rental, and that was the scenario I threw at you, Tucker, right? Mm -hmm. the landlord pays the the relocation fine. If the landlord wants to move their parents or their children into their rental, the landlord pays a relocation fine. If the landlord wants to remodel or has to remodel, the landlord pays the relocation fine. So what you have here is there's a lot of scenarios that are pretty innocent. It's your property. It's your right to go in there and do what you want to do. Yet this penalty is now invoked. And I read here just now it ranges from $2,900 to about $5,000. So it's no joke. It's a steep, steep penalty.
1: You're quiet over there, Joe. What do you know? Oh, I was just listening to the show. I'm thinking, wow, (laughs) this is great stuff.
0: (laughs) Very Uh, informative.
1: You know, I don't have many details to talk about it. But, you know, we, we have three main bullet points on topics and then our last topic. But three of them, this one being rent control We have energy efficiency against sellers, and then we have tax breaks, not writing off your MI. Those are our our topics. What I don't like is somebody in one of the comments said, hey, you know what, there's too much government involved here, and I totally believe that. I think that these are trying to get passed, and it's, it's not perfected yet. They have so much stuff included, and I also think there's a little bit of Robin Hood going on here hey, the tenants are getting screwed and the landlords are getting rich and they're raising the rents and let's take from the rich and give to the poor. So what it is is if you go beyond 10%, you have to pay their move-out fees if they choose to move out. I think that's it. So what do they do? Tucker said they raise it 9.99%. You know, And then there's a thing on in the Internet called false news. Well, if you want someone out of your house – you figure out a false cause. You come up with a cause. So it's not a no cause eviction. You just have to figure out one that might work. So there are ways around it. But as it's written, it's not good for the landlords. It's not good for future investors or realtors or homeowners. And if you look at this, people who are you know, trying to get that deluxe department in the sky, By the American dream and having rentals, I mean, when they sell the damn thing, they're going to have to pay capital gains anyway, unless they keep it in there and do an exchange. But when do you stop giving? And I'm a little tired of the government involved saying, hey, you need to do this and it's against you. Oh, and by the way, we're going to tie it to a real estate transaction because God knows real estate transactions are so easy right now we're going to do some of these other things it's just it's just too much and you know what i'd like to do is you know for rent control i mean these people that are passionate about it how about we say hey you know what we're just not going to pay you guys salaries anymore for this year and we're going to put it towards subsidizing rent so people can afford housing what do you think about that i'm sure these lawmakers wouldn't be stoked someone dictating that just as people who had this idea of getting rentals and making passive income that way, they don't want to be regulated with all of this stuff. So I'm not a fan of rent control.
2: Yeah. So couple yeah, a couple other things along those lines, Joe. First of all, I mean as I've seen legislature after legislature. And, and we've talked a lot on the show about Portland. And I think your exact words have been they've lost their mind.
0: <laughs> You've said that, yeah, I've, times, I've said that a few times. Tucker.
2: Yeah. <laughs> but as you watch this, I mean, you have to ask yourself, in all honesty, who wants to be a landlord in Portland? It is just getting uglier and uglier. And it is a real question. And it's one that I think we are seeing and hearing people no longer want to be a part of. And so What your concern is, and some of the other unintended consequences of a bill like this, is all those landlords out there putting their houses on the market and selling them, and they're purchased by owner-occupied people. So what do you have now? Less rental stock, which obviously hurts tenants. You also wonder if the security deposits are now going to go up. Some portion, you know, in the past, you always had cleaning deposit non-refundable or some kind of non-refundable portion and then a refundable portion. Well, obviously, it'd have to be the non-refundable portion. But if a thousand was good before, maybe it's three thousand now. Just so they can hedge themselves in case they ever need to kick them out, kick them out under these what would be a no cause eviction. But as I read before through Billy Grippo's statement, there's a lot of legitimate no cause evictions. The other thing that's interesting about this is, as you read through it, is landlords who kept rents down over the years are the ones being punished the most. Isn't that nuts? The, yeah. The, and we all know these guys in years. past, I'm one of
0: them. I've, got a, I've got a rental right down the street from the office here. And, you know, I haven't raised rent on them since 2007 when they moved in. Right. And so they have a hell of a deal. You know, they've been good tenants and I'm not, you know, going to screw them in any way. But at the same time, if I raise rent more than 150 bucks over the next year, then I'm subject to this. Right. Like, yep. that's not right.
2: So you're renting a uh, detached for 1500 bucks there by your office? Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah. that's my point. And I remember when I was in my early 20s, I had a suite set up like this where a landlord you know, rented me and it was pretty inexpensive. It was clearly below market rent and they did it for a while and I was a good tenant for them. And, but nobody's going to do that anymore. We're being forced into a situation where landlords have to make regular rent increases. Not the 9.99, that's not what I'm saying, but they have to keep their rent increasing and at market they can't get complacent with a tenant and go hey you've been a good tenant i'm not going to increase it. i'm not going to increase it because then they can never ever make a large increase exactly is, is i mean the reason I, you have to plan ahead now
0: to continually raise rent on every new cycle because if you don't then you get caught behind the eight ball and we got exactly we want to be in so yeah,
2: yeah it's- and suddenly if you're in a bad spot and you're like whoa you know this this happened or this happened or you know all of a sudden You can't just go change the rent on them dramatically to, you know, by the way, I'm talking about back to fair. I'm not talking about, you know, egregious rent. I'm talking about, hey, you've been 500 bucks below market rent, but, you know, things have changed in my situation. I need to get back close to market rent. You now have, you're facing these penalties unless you slowly do that. So there's an argument just to, to be regularly raising the rent so that you're never subject to this. That said, I mean... I will say I see some of the benefits of this. I do get some of the logic behind it. Rob Levy had a great comment. I'll have to find it. But he basically said, look, let's not all get bent out of shape here. It was either on this one or another one. Let's not get bent out of shape. I mean the average landlord out there isn't going to have a nightmare situation upon them. 10% is a lot. So you know the average rental if it's two thousand twenty five hundred, if you're not behind the eight ball already, like you are, Tucker. <laughs>
0: right, right.
2: <laughs> you still have a lot of lee- leeway there, and you know it does help some of these people who've been in unfortunate situations where they're caught blindsided. Even though the ninety day requirement to give notice, you'd think helped a lot with that as well. But now you got to give them ninety days, and if there's a cause, you got to help with their moving costs. So. I see some of the good in it. There's definitely some unintended consequences where I think it encroaches on the rights of homeowners who should have plenty of rights themselves. I mean, they actually saved up, bought a house, have an investment, and it's a shame that this is being thrust upon them in in the manner it is.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think it's just a... Really, it just comes down to it's one more thing, right? It's just been like an onslaught. And I feel like right now the market's hot, right? So it's like everybody's got this onslaught of ideas to help out the less fortunate. Well, what happens when the market gets cool again? Right now you got all this shit that got put into place when the market was hot. And now we still have to deal with it potentially when the market cools and inevitably it will cool. I mean, remember last time it cooled, they had to give people money to buy houses, right? Like imagine even getting back to sort of like that. And then you have all these things on top of it. It could be a real tough position and they'd have to reverse a lot of legislation potentially. But I think we made a lot of good points on that one. Maybe let's, Let's jump on to the next of the uh, the negative topics here that we're, we're having to navigate as real estate professionals. And this is one that Joe mentioned earlier and potentially no tax breaks or limited tax breaks for MI, which isn't mortgage insurance, but it's mortgage interest payments. And so this was an interesting one that got posted, I think last night, Steve, and I tagged you guys on it so that we could talk about it briefly. But there was actually a realtor that came out as a helpful spokesperson for this. I won't say her name or talk about her necessarily, but I will say that I'm a little surprised that that happened, but, you know, the whole idea behind this again, seems bananas to me. I'll light the fire and you guys can keep it rolling. So basically what I read on this one is that they want to eliminate the mortgage interest deduction for the state income tax here in Oregon. Still applies against your federal income taxes, but not against your state. Now, if our state income tax was super low and not in the top three highest in the the country, I'd say it's much to do about nothing, right? If we had like a 2% state income tax or 3%, it's probably fairly minimal, but since those of us that make, you know, decent money are paying anywhere between 9 and 10%, that's sizable number. And so what they want to do is they want to cap your ability to only deduct I think it's uh, just under $15,000 a year in mortgage interest. Or if you make over 290 grand a year, you get to deduct none. So it just seems like a crazy idea, but on top of that, they want to route the money to affordable housing, and this is the part that really pisses me off the most because they want to take more money from people of Oregon to create affordable housing as opposed to fixing our own very poor policies in terms of redevelopment, whereas I've said this on the show before. Instead of doing something like eliminating the mortgage interest deduction, why don't we maybe you know waive the massive SDC which can be forty, fifty thousand dollars 50000 for a newly created lot inside the city of Portland, maybe let's waive those for a certain neighborhood, right? Or maybe let's increase some zoning in certain areas and waive the SDC charges, and maybe give some tax abatements to create more units so that you can actually build affordable housing here in Portland. But they don't want to do that. Instead, they want to you know, frame something like this that you know, in the eyes of the taxpayer takes money from the rich or the more well-to-do and gives it to the affordable housing plan. Now, there was a mention here about a, a sales tax, and I'll tell you what, I'm pro-sales tax. I am, but I'm not pro-sales tax in a state that's already got some of the highest income taxes in the nation, right? I think it's a give and take. If you have sales taxes, you need to lower the state income tax, because I think sales tax is the fairest type of tax. The more you consume, the more you pay. And uh, and,
2: you, and you make the prostitutes and drug dealers pay taxes. <laughs> yes. I'll, I'll let you work on
0: the legislation on how to figure out how to make that. No, out, I mean,
2: seriously, it is the most fair type because if you're buying stuff, regardless of how you're hiding your income, you're you're paying taxes. I think you're right there, Tucker. Keep going.
0: So I think that's probably the fairest way to get money or additional revenue. Uh, but again, it's not a revenue problem. It, it seems like the more money we give our government, the more money they spend. And then there's always the need for more. But I think going after the mortgage interest deduction as a state, I think it's absolutely crazy. And again, it's one of those things that think about when the market cools, right, Steve or Joe, you know, when the market goes back to not being blistering hot and now people are looking at, well, should I move to Portland? Do I want to buy real estate there? Shoot, I can't even deduct my mortgage interest or I'm capped on it. In addition to everything else that you've got to deal with, it just makes you start to think, wow, this isn't really a very friendly place to move financially.
2: I agree. I, that was one of my big concerns when I read this. The good news is it doesn't sound like this is going to happen. I mean, you no, it'll probably that. never happen. But yeah. the fact that well, it's out it does, there, it's, it's,
0: it's not going to happen
2: now. It's not no. going to happen now. The way these types of things work, you know, I'm guessing here, but they were trying to legalize marijuana weed 10 years ago. And, it, you know, oh, it didn't go through. But but it builds that momentum and it starts to build a following, and it starts to build support, and then they try it again, and then they try it again, and all of a sudden it goes through. So in that context, this article that was posted here says pretty definitively this is probably not going to get through. This time there's a lot of opposition on both sides of the aisle. But that momentum for it is building, and that is that is a little nerve-wracking this article did a great job of vilifying realtors. Didn't I see in here some, I think it was, was it KGW? Yeah. They said something about like realtors are against this because with the hurting the mortgage interest deduction, then you hurt the price of homes and they make more money, the more the houses sell for or something like that. It was kind of vilifying a little bit. Yeah. So like you said, Tucker, if you own a house, 400000 or less, you still get your mortgage interest deduction, but 400000 is barely an average house now. Yeah, so just above
0: totally, the median sales price. Yeah. Right?
2: I mean, it's it's right there. So basically, more than half or about half would be affected by this. And they would have to pay some form of higher taxes as a result of losing this deduction. Like you said, over 200000 a year or two ninety, one one of the two, which is probably all of us on this podcast, then would have none. Right. No, As if right. we don't it's already lot,
0: pay enough in the ten percent state income tax, right? Yeah, that, that income and oil, it, right? it's a
2: lot of people. You know, in our industry, and it's it's a lot of self-employed people. It's a lot of small businesses. So, yeah, there's definitely some blowback on this one. It was kind of interesting. It was it was pretty pretty ballsy of this realtor.
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> I won't say her name or anything, but man, she she got right out there and she crossed her arms and said, "I'm I'm doing this."
0: If I ever get an offer from her, I'll remember her. I'll put it that way. You know. <laughs>
2: She's gonna have some tense co-opt transactions in the near future,
1: that's for sure. <laughs> Joe, what you've been quiet, what do you got? Oh, you know, it's it's more of the same. It's the Robin Hood theory, you know. Uh, we're gonna take from those and penalize those who have houses to take their money and, and subsidize affordable housing programs. You know, the they're licking their chops because they estimated what they call a hundred million a year windfall in tax payments that that they would get. But if you dissect this thing, you know, it would limit it to, you know, writing off fifteen thousand. So that would be approximately a four hundred thousand dollar home. And it changes a little if your family combined income makes two hundred thousand a year, but if you make two ninety a year you don't write off anything and if you have a vacation property you don't write off anything so i get it i mean i support homeless and affordable housing and i do all that stuff but you know they're looking at hey we got to get money to focus on this and it seems like they always make the wrong answer and they always tie it to homes or real estate transactions and it just gets old i i think they could better utilize something and yeah, there's the argument of a state tax and you know tourism is is such a big revenue maker for Portland. If we have a sales tax, people come in and you know they see our beautiful city and and use our roads and use our facilities, they're getting taxed a little bit too instead of coming in, using our stuff, leaving, you know, there's a little bit taken out of it, but it seems like they always go after realtors and real estate because it's usually the largest material asset that any person has. You know, all three of these things are attached to real estate, tax breaks, and energy efficiency. I mean, I I don't fundamentally go against any of these things that we're talking about. I understand the rent control. I understand, you know, energy efficiency. I understand, you know, wanting to get affordable housing but i think these bills are stitched together so quickly and then railroaded that there's a lot of you know things you got to do to to make them read well for all scenarios and i don't think everything has to be attached to to real estate so you got grumpy Joe today because I hate. Uh, <laughs> well, let me, let me, just, people let force me just run through some
0: things stuff. here, Joe, real quick. That the city of Portland, we've had to either deal with or propose to deal with as realtors, owners of real estate, developers in the last twelve months that we've talked about on the show. Right. First thing is, if we cut down a tree that's bigger than thirty-six inches in diameter, it's at least eleven thousand dollar fine. Right. Period. The end. Uh, plus 300 bucks per caliper inch. Number two is if we tear down a house that's older than 1915, we have to hand demo it. No more bringing out the heavy equipment, period, the end. Number three is now if we want somebody to move out of a house that we rent, and even though the lease expired, it's a no-cause eviction, we have to pay upwards of $4,500 to move them out. Number four is potentially we don't get any more tax breaks on our mortgage or our mortgage interest, depending on how much we make and um, you know how much uh, our our mortgage interest is. And lastly, and the last topic would be, you know, the energy efficiency where before we list a home on the market and I'll let you kind of summarize this maybe a little better, Joe, we have to get it energy efficiency rated so that the buyer knows exactly how inefficient our old Portland home is.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's tied specifically to real estate and that passed unanimously and it's not that expensive it's uh like hundreds of dollars to you know 200 bucks 250 something like that but they're tying it to a real estate transaction why don't they say hey look all right people of Portland Multnomah County you guys have to get your energy efficiency score by 2019 I mean, why does everything have to be tied to a real estate transaction? God, we're having enough problem with, you know, appraisers getting there in two months time. We're now going to throw energy efficiency on top of radon and sewer breaks and everything else. You know, it's like I support you a little bit. I get the carbon footprint. I had my granola this morning, but I wouldn't say that I would go out there on on a scaffold and start screaming energy efficiency but damn it don't tie it to real estate tie, just do something else give people a 3 year time frame where at some time in the 3 years before a date you get your $200 energy efficiency score and you submit it just like a you know like a walking score but that's going to be one more appointment god knows how long it takes for them to actually get to the house how long this efficiency rating takes and then how long it takes to get the score, and then if that's going to be a newfound negotiation skill for buyers. Um, oh yeah. Well, you had a low effic- efficiency rating, so therefore, you know we want you to beef up the insulation, or it's just it it shouldn't be tied to real estate.
0: And it's like five or six crazy things that like every time yeah. I send the headlines to people that don't live in Portland, like wow. Portland's lost its damn mind you know and then it's like one thing and another and another and it's just like geez does it ever end but the thing that we were going to end on the as far as the negative topics this week was the energy efficiency which uh rating which is in effect that has to be done I think starting what uh next year or this year 2018 yeah 2018. So, you know, I just think that this one's crazy and we, I think we might've mentioned on the show before, but you know, I don't need somebody to tell me that an old Portland house with old wood windows that uh, with the lath and plaster still up is energy inefficient, right? Like, uh, you know, you sh- if you got half a brain, you should be able to determine if you're buying a 1920 house that hasn't been remodeled at all. It's energy efficiency score is probably pretty low, right? You know, why do we need the government yeah. to tell us that it is?
2: Yeah. And I read that this Portland is the first city in, in the country to do this. It'll, it'll be interesting to see if others follow suit. And Tucker, when you were reading that list, were those proposals that have gone through or just that were put out there? Well, some have. So I, I
0: started with we've got the tree, right? If you got the big tree, yeah. you got to pay a fine. No question around it. Doesn't matter if you're put if it's right smack in the middle of the lot, you're building a new house. 11,000 bucks period, the end plus, you know, whatever additional uh, size of the tree is beyond 36 inches. Number two is if we want to take a house down that was built before 1915, have to hand demo it much more costly, much more timely. Number three is obviously the rent control. If we want somebody to move out, we've got to pay them to move out. And then the potential was of the removing the mortgage insurance deduction, that would be another one. And then the energy efficiency score is something we have to do. So what four out of the five or five out of the six or things that we have to do. The one that didn't stick yet is the mortgage interest deduction. But the other one that didn't stick that remember our old mayor threw at us was the $25,000 teardown tax, right? So that was a seventh one that, that they threw at us this past year or sixth one. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just been like an onslaught of let's go after the real estate business. And it just seems like it's never ending these days.
2: Yeah. And what I fear is, you know, while the one that went through for the, uh, quote-unquote rent control, while it encourages people to get out of the landlord business, I worry that some of these at some point are going to get people out of the Oregon business or the Portland business.
0: And that was my point.
2: Yeah, yeah, and... and watch out if you don't think that's bad for our area and what transpires as a result. I mean, maybe some of these people want that. I, I wouldn't be surprised if there isn't some element of that desire going on here. But, yeah, this energy efficiency one is definitely interesting. It's going to affect us all. It's coming. So it's passed. It's in. It's coming. We basically, at least they gave us some time to figure it out. So, Joe, you and I, and we're going to probably be in a bunch of classes over the next 10 months We're going to be getting emails from probably title companies and partners telling us it's coming. Here's come to this class to learn all about it. You know, we're going to start making new contacts with people who go in and rate houses. It's going to be interesting how that process works. I trying to wrap my head around how you can tell by running through a house with some tools and how much hot air it's holding and how much it's letting out. I mean, They'll probably I, 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 do the
0: what they call a blower door test. We have to do it on our new construction, but it basically, they can take a reading on how well the house holds air, and, you know.
2: Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So
0: that, it's, it's a pretty simple, it's not rocket science, but they're just trying to apply what new construction does to existing old construction homes.
2: Yeah. And what I read here was, you know, almost 50% of Portland's homes are like older than 60, 70 years. So they're definitely gonna fail miserably in this test and look terrible. <laughs> and what's that going to do to all and that's a big chunk of the population who has those homes. Now they're suddenly going to have a black cloud over them with a score. I see those guys as concerns. It's basically, for our listeners, it's kind of been likened to the miles per gallon rating that cars are given that you know, that's a federal requirement. You can't or how about the
0: number of calories in the Big Mac you eat, right? You got to look at the calorie count before you order it. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. So now as somewhere in RMLS we're gonna have a little score. Do we know is it one to a hundred? Is that what it is? I
1: don't know anyone know?
2: know? Yeah. is it what? One to a hundred, the scoring system.
1: Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know that I
2: don't, I don't know either. It's either one to ten or one to a hundred or something. So basically when we're getting working with a seller up front, we're gonna go, okay, I've got here's a couple business cards, here's who you need to call, get them out here. They're gonna bring the little blower test to the house. They're going to test everything out and when they're done, they're going to give you a score. You can either decide then if you want to try to address some of the issues with the house to get your score up. As realtors, we're going to have to advise through that process, you know, is is this something we want to deal with? I'm guessing the people who do the blower tests and that process have recommendations and probably some upselling providers, service providers or something that they can do. And then we load them into RMLS and we take them on the market and anyone who's looking for homes is going to see, you know, that little score on that house, kind of like a walk score probably would be another way to explain it. And it'll be interesting to see how buyers respond to that. You definitely have to think if all else is equal and they like two houses equally and one's got a really high score and one's got a really low score that it's going to convey that one is going to have cheaper utilities. I don't think it's all bad, but it's definitely more change and it's more cost and it's more forced processes on us. It's definitely going to affect our business. We should all start thinking about it. So Tucker, it really doesn't affect yours. You've been doing that already on your- Well, no, I house. mean, I think, yeah,
0: I mean, it. I don't have a dog in the fight, right? I mean, really it, it benefits me. I'm against it, but it really benefits me, right? Because we go in and we buy a lot of houses that are you know, not in good shape and very inefficient. So now- If a seller that has a house that's not in very good shape and it's incredibly inefficient, they have to go through more hoops to go the conventional route of selling it. Or they can just call me and I say, I don't care how inefficient it is because we're going to gut it anyway. It actually helps me. But I just feel like it's going to hurt those people more than it helps people like me or the environment or whatever it is that they're trying to accomplish. Right? It's a negotiation point that I think, especially as the market cools. Uh, right now, when the market's hot, people don't think logically about anything when it comes to buying yep. real estate. It seems, you know. But as the market cools, I see this being a big negotiation piece. They're going to say, "Hey." you've got old windows. So says the energy efficiency score, even though I could see that when I walked in the house. So we want you to replace all the windows or we want a a credit for $8,500 because we have a bid here for, you know, from Geldwin or whoever to replace the windows. So that's where I see this going as the market cools. It just becomes another way to kind of negotiate with a homeowner that maybe it's fair, maybe it's not, but it's, it's a change.
2: Yeah. It adds cost. It adds labor. It adds more activity to an already complex and costly process. While I see some good in it, it's to be determined if forcing that on every transaction is really worth that. Can you imagine, Joe, on a short sale? Like And like Tucker says, I, he said this a few times, and I think it's really important to acknowledge. Things are good now, but that's not going to always be the case. You know, if we go through a correction and You're already meeting with a seller and they've got, you know, it's really tight. It's really lean. It might even be a short sale. And you're like, oh, by the way, get out your checkbook. You're writing this up front just to get on the market, just to get on the market. It'll be interesting to see if realtors start paying for that too.
1: Or inspectors incorporate it in their inspection somehow.
2: Yeah, but Joe, do you think as we go to listing appointments, we're going to compete with agents that are, oh, this agent said they'd pay for my efficiency test. I mean, this might really smack us right between the eyes in this industry. We might be surprised as people are trying
1: to get listings what they're throwing out there.
2: I'm really looking forward to that. How about you?
1: <laughs> well, you know, people do that. I Hey, I'll buy a home warranty or I'll do this or I'll do that. And I don't think it's needed. I mean, every home warranty is different. That, you don't have to have
2: it to list. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, this is This is to get you on the market. You must jump over this hoop, and it costs X. Do we know what X is, guys? Is yeah, it $500? Three,
0: three to five hundred bucks. I think is what they no, bought. Oh, I thought it was about.
1: like one fifty to two fifty. I I thought I read. <laughs> Ironically, all of the short sales and bank owned and all of that stuff is exempt from this. Oh wow! Oh okay, they're yeah. all yeah. exempt. I think I read.
2: How would a short sale, how would that be determined to be exempt? Where do you put the HUD that shows that it's short to get that exemption? You know what I mean? It's That's a little hard to understand. So I'm meaning with a client. What if it's tight? Like, oh, if we get this price, you're even, and you're going to get a few grand. If you, if it goes lower, you're going to be short. Do we, you know, you get where that's a little tricky? Bank owned yeah. is clear and cut. They own title. They get to do it that way. So that'll be interesting to see, but... There's a lot. There's a lot that's gonna unfold with this. We'll keep talking about it on the show, Tucker. I don't think we know all the ins and outs. And a lot of times, when these actually roll out, you you really see it in action a lot differently than it sounded on paper. Hey, yeah. Joe, let's go to your happy ending. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's wrap up with a happy ending. Post,
1: huh? Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. You're talking about the 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 day I went out and the rainstorm and just had a tough time. Like every single lockbox placement was in the absolute worst place. I started that post. I think I had a picture of a muddy gal and you can only see the whites of her eyes in one of those like, you know, raw dog, you know, tough mutter type contests. But that's what I felt like. I mean, after I stepped in dog poop, I'm going behind a, like a rhododendron that was holding like a pint of water in the leaves through the mud and spider webs in the pitch black bending down by the ground and it's like my dress shoes were just covered with mud and dog crap and i couldn't see what i was doing it just sucked and it's like you know i wish there could be like just absolute clarity in real estate where i can just like look walk to the front door and not see the lockbox and then just turn to the buyers and say gosh i'm so sorry we can't get in this one cuz the realtor's a friggin idiot i would love <laughs> to do that so all i'm asking with this particular post is how hard is it to put it somewhere clean dry safe well lit somewhere like, you know, waist height or chest height, so you can see it, near the doors they open. It's not a a horrible thing, but when you put a lockbox like on the back door where the key fits the front door and you have to shimmy through this fence that hasn't opened in like five years to get to it, and it's just, it's my pet peeve. And I found this thing called a box belt. It's this strap And it'll go around a four by four pillar and cinch up like really tight. Or it can go as wide as 36 inches wide and it can go around a round pillar, a square pillar. You just basically cinch it up kind of like a motorcycle strap. And the only rub on that that I've ever heard is, well, someone could cut that strap. Well, they also have these cables that you can put around it too. So not only can you cinch it up exactly where you want it, it'll never move. If you're particularly worried about safety, you can put this, you know, sort of a bicycle cable-like type thing and clip that into the shackle and and you're good to go. But it's like, I throw a pair of boots in my car now because I never know what I'm going to get. I could be in Portland in the city and still have to walk through like bark dust and mud to get to the stinking lockbox.
0: Steve, where's the worst place you've ever put a lockbox?
1: <laughs> put one?
0: Yeah.
2: Oh no, I would no, I don't do that. <laughs> I'm nice. I sleep well at night. <laughs> I one time put one on a railing by the front door of a house over in Burlingame in southwest Portland and it ghostly disappeared. Like somebody grounded off or something we never did find it i think i talked about it on the show no we put them in very visible places i mean position a is the front doorknob <laughs> come on people it's there for a reason like it's what you turn to get into the house so they're going there anyway let's let's put it right there in their sights if you're not going to put it there then gosh the closer to there the better now if entry is a separate door Or a different door, then you need to say that in the private comments, and you need to say where the lockbox is. If you deviate from a normal location, and let's define normal, the front door, the doorknob, within a few feet of the doorknob, invisible sight. If that is not where it is, there needs to be comments about those people. There needs to be – there's a couple different places you can put it. Private comments is great because you can write as much as you need to. There's also that little section where it says armless lockbox and you check you know, a few different options. But more communication is better. I'll tell you the worst place that there ever was one on someone else's listing I went to – was Roger Pollock's foreclosed mansion in Dunthorpe. Anyone else that saw that, I forget the street it was on. We all know it, and it's spaced my mind right now. But it's a well-known property. It went into foreclosure. It was on the market for a while. Actually, the the guy that you came and met me with in Dunthorpe, he uh-huh. wanted to see it. Yep. He was interested in it. He was kind of looking to do something different, Tucker. And so I set up a showing. I meet him at the house. I never found it. Never found. It. We <laughs> oh, wow. looked. I mean, this is the, this was obviously a, a large estate property. We looked everywhere. I walked around the back. It was embarrassing. It was really embarrassing. I mean, I was with a you know a guy looking at a three million dollar lockbox, and I'm trying to I'm trying to make out that I'm not an idiot and don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and it just made me look so unprofessional. We did not get into the house. One of my other buyers agents. You know, it was a foreclosure agent, you know, probably your worst target audience for this type of behavior. And by the way, at that showing, I called her. She was out of area, I think, too. I called her, I texted her, I emailed her, no response. You know, a couple of days later on Tuesday, we get an email back with some arbitrary, crazy location that you would never think to look like behind a gate, out of sight. I never did go finally see it. But my buyer's agent said, yeah, it was there. But it was nowhere in the comments. Nowhere. It was so frustrating. So, yeah, to Joe's point, the easier the better. But if not if not possible or not desired by the seller, we get it. Be detailed in telling us where it is. It's not an Easter egg hunt, folks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's a good way to wrap it up right there. Or an, an obstacle,
1: obstacle course. course.
2: Yeah, or an obstacle <laughs> course. Or
0: a tough mutter for
1: that matter, right?
0: Cool. Well, I think we've covered a lot of good topics and uh, we finished it off with a fun one, right? So there there we (laughs) go. Yeah.
2: And by the way, to the happy ending comment. So we we acknowledged as we were getting today's agenda and itineraries laid out, we're like, okay, we've got three Debbie Downer topics here. Let's end with a good one. Let's end with Joe's happy ending. And so we did. And uh, we joke about that off the air too
0: <laughs> <laughs> cool all right well hey that wraps up episode 59 everybody we'll be back uh either next week or the week after with another great show but uh until then joe thanks for joining us again steve good seeing you. you and uh we'll see all you guys out there and listening on the next one